Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The following production is brought to you by The Talkin' Buds Leave Show. Earlier this season, I approached you and I was like, let's stop doing episodes immediately after games. That'll change come the playoffs, obviously. But I was like, let's just, instead of getting on immediately following a a game, let's sleep on it and then come back tomorrow or a couple of days later with a fresh perspective And this week was a perfect example of why that was the correct decision. Because after Tuesday night against the Islanders, I was ready to put Sheldon Keefe in a missile and fire him directly into the sun. And then they come back on Thursday night against Florida and play arguably their best road game of the season, like from bell to bell. So... We come at it now, and we've slept on it. We have a calm, cool, collected perspective. And I've got a bunch of things now that, in the wake of that drubbing at the hands of the New York Islanders, it it wasn't clear in my head. Now it is clear in my head, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and also, we were um, I was a little tired of uh, staying up till midnight. After, yeah, yeah, uh, staying up till midnight that, is... Yeah. That's also another factor for anyone else who doesn't do a podcast. But Especially um, when you're starting out and you're just staying up till midnight and then you look at your YouTube views the next day and it's like, oh, cool, 14 people have watched this. Really glad I stayed up till 1.30 a.m. Yeah, I think this week is um, was a good, um, good reminder of how this season has gone for this team and how, and how sometimes when you do overreact... Um, you do, you can sound like an idiot because it's they were awful. Like they were they were so bad against the Islanders. They were brutal, and you could have come on there after and given a million takes on how they suck and all these different things you're worried about going into the playoffs. But then they just go out and and beat a good team. And that like they're you look at the division, they're in second place. They they've. They have games in hand. They, they've separated themselves by five points. And at the end of the day, you can't really have a, a super negative regular season take at this point. Because it's just like they, they've, they have nothing else to prove to us, really. Like, they've, they went out and did the job. Like, if you, if you look at their wins and losses throughout the entire season, they haven't gone on a losing streak all year. No, they haven't ever. There's never been a moment where they've lost, like, five of six. Yeah, or, no. Yeah. Like, it's just... It's it's you can you can try and find those little minute details uh, and relate it to what's going to happen come game one, game two. But at the end of the day, like it, it is kind of difficult to sound smart having a 
brutally negative take right now about this hockey team because they're just they're just a damn good hockey team and they proved it all year and they're 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 gonna get home ice. And yeah. the truth of the matter is, is they've known who they're playing for months in the first round. And you can sit and you can say, oh, you know, these guys are paid a lot of money. They're professionals. They've got to go out every night and do this, that, whatever. But it's like it's human nature. Like they've known they're playing Tampa. So it's like you're it's only natural to be looking in the future on the horizon and going, okay, like that's who we've got to get like mentally set and ready to play. And when you look at the the opponents they're playing down the stretch here, pretty much every single one of these teams, with the exception of the Montreal Canadiens and the Blue Jackets, is in some sort of fight for their playoff lives. Like it's it's it just is what it is. So they're going out there every night and it's kind of like don't get injured. Play well, but at the same time, like we don't the last thing we want is is a key player getting hurt and not being available. Meanwhile, you're going out there against the Islanders, against the Panthers, who are just like they need every point they can get right now. And it just it just is what it is. It's not the same circumstances for them or their opponents. And you look at you look at the way Tampa's playing right now, too. It's like they, they gotta be feeling the exact same thing. Like they they've also known. I know they'd probably like to get home ice as well, but at the end of the day, they won last year without it, so it really doesn't matter to them. And it's just, yeah, like it, it is. I don't say it's hard to get up for games because you're a professional. You should be able to get up for games. But yeah, like sometimes a little bit of complacency, for lack of a better term, could could seep in knowing what the outcome is going to be in the next 10 games. Like you're not moving anywhere. You're not going anywhere. You just have to prepare yourself the best you can heading into that series. I'm looking at the situation with Tampa and I'm like, man, they are really struggling down the stretch here, but I just, I'm sorry. Like I can't, the second that puck drops for game one, it doesn't matter anymore. So while I'm kind of saying, you know what? Them struggling is really helping the Leafs out here. It's helping the Leafs add to their uh, cushion and second in the division. And it's helping the Leafs uh, almost guarantee home ice advantage. I just, I can't, I can't go into this series. I just have too much respect for the Lightning and what they've done in the last three years and who their goaltender is and who their head coach is to sit here and go, well, they're they're going to stumble into the playoffs and then that'll that'll affect them as soon as uh, the puck drops for game one. It's like, no, it won't. This, it's a new season the second the puck drops for game one. So point being, I'm not really reading too much into Tampa struggling, struggling other than the fact that it's helping out Leafs. Well, you, you look at Tampa. Um, one thing I know about this hockey team is they're they're not gonna have a they're not gonna have any problems scoring goals. Okay, like they, their offense might not be clicking on all cylinders right now, but they still have Nikita Kucherov's in the top three in points. Braden Point is forty something goals. Like Stamkos will figure it out, and and they have, they have good forward depth. That that's what you do know. But where. Some people are are selling me on on a Leafs potential first round victory is the 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 decor has been weakened over the years for the Tampa Bay Lightning and and Victor Hedman doesn't have as much help as he's as he's normally had in the past and their goaltender isn't really playing on top of his game right now either and, and if you look at his stats last playoff series like he wasn't. He came up big, I guess, in, in the last game, even though the Leafs got no pucks to the net because, again, the Lightning shut down the middle of the ice. But to me, like, I, I, I can get sold on them 
weakening defensively, therefore giving the Leafs a bigger advantage of of stacking up a couple lines that can go against some weaker D pairs. Fatigue has to set in at some point. Yeah, and fatigue. Like because if you look at not only have they gone to three straight Cup finals, they're it, it, they've done it in this sort of condensed COVID timeline. So it's like there's these guys have to be exhausted. It has to. It has to happen. Yeah. There's no way they're not. And like how like is your how much this is I don't even know if this is a, this might sound stupid, but like how how much is the fire really burning yeah. after you've won two into yeah. and and you were you were damn close last year and lost to just an unbelievably good hockey team. Like I know the fire burns to win every single year but it, i mean at some point like maybe these guys are just like, there's gotta be one guy on that roster there's too many person different personalities in this world that there's no way there's not one guy on that roster who's just like down to call it early and go hit the links like you know like as uh, bad as that sounds i wouldn't mind wrapping it up it in oh, three yeah. weeks That's, and just yeah. taking the summer off and it's like yeah, hitting the links but also like being at home with my family, and there's, there's, just, no, there's no pressure on them either. No, no there's like they zero don't have, pressure. They don't have a fan base that applies. Does that make you nervous though? Does that make you nervous going into round one? Like the the Lightning are playing with house money. Like if they lose, even I would go as far as to say that even if the Lightning lose in four or five, people the narrative will be, well, they they're exhausted. And so they they're house money. Like there is no scenario where they come out of this and go, "Wow, the Lightning really didn't show up. They played awful." It'll be they were tired. They've had 3 years in a row, which is valid. I'm not saying that's bullshit. I'm saying it's valid. Whereas the Leafs, it's like there's so much pressure on them the second that puck drops. Yeah, that's true. So, does that make you nervous? Like they're kind of they can just kind of go out there and whatever happens happens from the Lightning perspective. I I I just think that um I could be totally wrong about this, but I think if the Leafs lose this first round, it's, I don't think you're going to be looking at the other side being like, you guys were just better than us. Like, I think it's just, they're almost going to beat themselves if they don't, because they, they can beat this team. man. Yeah. Like they can, Yes, they, they can do, I don't care. I, people throw Vasilevsky in your face all the time, but I, I they can beat this hockey team. Like they can. So they just got to go out and do it. And I don't want to hear it. They are going to be the underdogs. If they're not the under, like I don't, I don't know what Vegas is going to do about setting the line for that series, but they are the underdogs. Like they have to be. Any any team going against Tampa other than Boston, maybe is is an underdog. So, but again, usually the underdog has no pressure, but it's reversed. It's like we've been to three Cup finals, we've won two. So if we don't do anything this year, it's not really a big deal. Or you got the other team that is the underdog that needs to win a goddamn round. Or else heads will roll. Speaking of first round um, against Tampa and can they beat them or can't they, you and I have been talking for the last couple of weeks, more so me than you, and sort of saying, you know, it's a foregone conclusion that Ilya Samsonov will be the game one starter. And I think, listen, as we we get closer here, I think that's more and more up in the air because I think Matt Murray has had two good starts in a row. And I think... Whether you agree with him or not, they brought him in because they believe that he has pedigree to take them deep and perform in these big moments. And so I don't, I'm starting to 
walk back my stance that Samsonov might be the game one starter because I think Matt Murray has played really well these last couple of games. And Samsonov's road record is not the best. So, I don't know. Like, I saw some people on Twitter who were kind of making the case like, well, do you start Samsonov at home and Murray on the road? And I'm kind of like, I guess. But, like, do you ever remember a team doing that? Like, has that ever happened? Like, going in, it's always sort of, you know, when you get into the playoffs, you have your guy. And, like, I don't know. Like, could they do something like that? I, I There has been a team. I'm trying to think of, like, there have been scenarios where top goalies have gone down and backup goalies have come in and excelled in a playoff situation. Right. No, no, yeah, but there's no... Like, just to come out and say we have a tandem. Could you... Yeah, like, do you ever remember a team, like, really... And yes, there's been moments where a guy's come in and he's he's taken over maybe for a series or for, like, three or four games or whatever. But do you ever remember a scenario where a team has gone flip-flop, flip-flop, flip-flop through the cup final? It know. may... Like, logically, it makes sense. You're giving the, uh, the other guy some rest... They both should be like engaged, so it's not like guys rep coming hockey in cold. all over. Yeah, again. it is. It's like rep hockey. It's yeah. like kind of like so. I'm I'm just like point being. I'm kind of walking back my my conviction that Samsonov is just automatically the game one starter. Last week I said it would be disrespectful if he wasn't the game one starter, but it's amazing how things can change so quickly. That's why in I'm that so position. happy. Full circle to how we started this episode. That's why I'm kind of happy we, we don't do a daily show. Like, I'm, I am I don't know how you could do it. Like, you go full Colin Cowherd. We're like, on Tuesday, you're like, Sheldon Keefe is over his skis, as he would say. He's the, like, this guy has no idea what he's doing. And then fast forward the next day and be like, you know, I thought the way he deployed the seven defensemen last night was really good. And he's really impressing me. Like, that's really how you survive in a daily radio environment i think it comes down to um they make a decision for game one and then the guy in game one if he doesn't play well he's got he's out and another guy and i don't think there's a situation where a guy is going to have a brutal game one and then have and then he's just the guy so he's going in game two if someone has a brutal game one they're coming out but i'm interested to see how far like like what do you constitute as brutal like maybe maybe that's not right not the right way to put it how long is the leash? Because fast forward to last Saturday, Matt Murray allowed four goals to the Ottawa Senators, but he was one of the best Leafs on the ice. Well, yeah. So, like, how peppered. long is the leash? Yeah, yeah. So, like, how long is the leash? So, so do you look at it and say, well, you allowed four Sam Samsonovs going in, or do you say, no, you actually played well, and you go? Sheldon Keefe has a ton of pressure on him heading into this. Ton of pressure. I mean, with Matt Murray, like, the two runs he went on he didn't play in the regular season like he he's never been a regular season goalie like Mark andre Fleury carried a lot of that load and we all know the flowers resume in the playoffs isn't great other than the cup obviously but it's um the 09 cup but it's you know like i i it's a really tough decision like i don't know i just think you're got you just got to pick a guy you, you have to pick a guy for game one and then you just have to see what happens like that's and if he sucks or if he doesn't play that well, then you put in another guy. I don't think a tandem's the end of the world. Like, we don't have Vasilevsky. We don't have Shesterkin. We don't have UC Soros, even though they're not even going to make the playoffs. Sorokin. We don't have Elias Sorokin. Like, you know, like they, we don't have that guy. So I, I, if you're, 
If you've gone this whole regular season as one of the best teams in the NHL by playing almost a different goalie every night, I don't see why you could just buck the trend and give it a shot. Eventually, someone's going to roll with it, though, yes. I feel like. Yes. Eventually, another guy's going to play better than another guy. But but if you go in and win game one, whoever plays that game is going to play game two. Mm. But if you go in and lose that game one, then... What's going to happen then? Yeah. You know, remember last year, game one, they slapped them. Yeah, they did. What was this? It was like 5 nothing. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they did. They, they slapped them, oh. so I don't know. Yeah. I thought Austin Matthews was sensational on Thursday night against the Florida Panthers, and I think it's fascinating we sat here all year. I'm not averse to eating crow. Any of you that is that have been with us for long enough, know that I will gladly come on here and eat crow when I am wrong. But I, I have sat here numerous times this year and I've said, Callie Yarncroc is just a slightly better version of Alex Kerfoot. And they have put him beside Austin Matthews and something has clicked in his brain and Matthews has been vocal about how he likes playing with him. And I think, like, this is... This is... We've been trying to figure out all year who's the second line uh, left winger. And now it's like, well, maybe, like, would you go Matthews, Marner, Yarncrock? And then Tavares, Nylander, Bunting? Because Yarncrock seems to play better and prefer playing with Matthews. Well, Yarncrock's just, Yarncrock's a guy who, who he's not like Kerfoot because Kerfoot is fast. Her foot can move through a neutral zone. It's just when he gets the puck on a stick in front of the net, he just he freezes. Not a big goal against Florida, though. Yeah, but like Yarncroak's different. He's not a guy who's streaking through the neutral zone. He's a guy who you can want you want to get in a shooting position because he has a good release. But I, I don't understand why Michael Bunting got like dissed off that top line. I, I don't really understand because Michael Bunting has um he he's two twenty goal seasons for the Leafs. Kelly Yarncroke's been in the league for 10 years. He's never had a 20-goal season. I think when the star center comes out and is vocal to yeah, the coach, I, I, I though, agree, about I like playing with this guy, that carries a lot of weight. Yeah, I just don't... I, I mean, if you can if you can contribute, then fine. Like, I thought he's played pretty well. Well, to me, and it's also, it's also really important from a Matthew Nyes perspective, and I wanted to bring up Nyes because I don't ever remember us posting a video on social that got more engagement than our Matthew Nyes discussion. And... If Callie Yarncroft can hang in the top six, I think that is so critical for Matthew Nice because then you can slide him in and have him play on the fourth line and do what we were saying last episode, just go out there and play, as opposed to looking at him and going, you, you're straight out of college and you're going to play top six minutes for the Toronto Maple Leafs in the most important playoff series in franchise history. Are we ever going to be happy with the guy who slots in there, though? Like, they're, they're you're going to keep slotting guys in there. They're going to go maybe on a run or two, and then they're going to suck, and then they're going to get replaced. Like, this is just a revolving door position of who can fill in the third spot on the top line. Like, how many guys have we seen revolve? Like, right now, Yarncroft's going through a nice little stretch here, but it's, at some point, he's going to suck, and then you're going to have Michael Bunting back up there. Like, it's... I have no I the the line combinations are exhausting. They well, are exhausting to me. That's like, because Sheldon it changes every game. Every shit. I, I like I actually have a hard time keeping track of 
which line is which some nights. Like, I, I actually have no idea. Well, it's because Sheldon... And they're also doing the thing where they throw out, like, Nylander, Tavares, and, and Matthews together after a, a penalty kill. But it's... it's I, I'm, I'm exhausted with these so, line combinations. Can I give you my hot take on this? Because I've been pretty vocal with respect to Sheldon in the last few weeks. When it comes to star players, I don't think it's a big deal. I think you're a star player. I think Austin Matthews, Marner, Nylander can go out and play with anyone. Like, I, I really feel that way. So, if he wants to pull the blender out with the top six and, and load up a line and go out there and do that, go for it. I'm all for that. Where I think it's he needs to sort of settle in is, is the bottom six. Because once you start getting into, okay... This third line is going to be the checking line that is going to go out there against the the Lightning's top line through the first round. They need time to develop chemistry and figure out how to play with each other. And same thing with the fourth line. It's like you're going to go out there and you're going to skate and you're going to eat minutes and you're going to hit people and you're going to whatever. So I think if he wants to say, you guys are my top six, whoever that is, I'm going to throw you in a blender all game long, go for it. Because these are star players that can play with anybody. If you're going to say, this is my dedicated checking line. If you're going to say, um, you don't know what your dedicated checking line is until Ryan O'Reilly comes back. So, but if like you were going to, let's just say it all, like everyone's healthy. Who's your dedicated checking line right now? I have no idea. I don't know. I'm going Ryan O'Reilly, Alex Kerfoot. And then the other winger is where I get a little like, is it Sam Lafferty? Like, do you put Matthew Nyes in that situation? Matthew Nyes hasn't played a game for this hockey team. I, no, but how can you put him in that situation? Because because he's in a bottom six role, and he can just go out there and skate around and, and play. As how do you opposed know they're not be- putting Matt? Like usually, best on best go against each other. Like it's very rare. Like. The Leafs don't have a fill to know. Like, you know, like usually sometimes, like what if they're in Tampa and Cooper's matching Stamkos with Matthews all night? Like it's. Then I don't, then I don't know. But last year they deployed, if you look at what they did last year, they were talking about this on the radio yesterday. If you look at what they did last year, they deployed the Camp Engvall and um, Kayev line against Kucherov, Stamkos. Here's what I know. There's only one center on this hockey team that I trust in a shutdown role, and he's not on the ice right now. Like, I I, I don't care who his wingers are. Like, it's... David Kampf cannot check a top line. He cannot. He can't do it. So then would you have him, like... He's your fourth-line center. So would your fourth-line... Nola Chari and Zach Aston-Reese. Okay. And then you have Ryan O'Reilly playing center on the third line. With Kerfoot and Lafferty. Kerfoot and you have Lafferty. Like, that's... That to me, like that's how it works out. So okay, so here we go. So first line, I didn't, I didn't, I kind of wanted to save this for another episode, but we're getting into it right now. Let's go. Here, here's what we'll do. Right now, we'll talk forwards, and then next episode, we'll talk defensemen. So oh, that's even that's even a more annoying conversation. This, oh, yeah. this conversation is just it's so annoying to me. Like it's so let's go. So I would go. So there's the nice lineup, and then there's the non nice lineup. This is what I would do. I would. How do you know that Matthew and I like? I, I just it's so hard to fit a guy in that you who's never played an NHL game before. Well, so like, I know it's fantasy camp, but I don't, like it's. I don't. Pro, I don't profess to be a uh, aficionado in college hockey, but from listening to other shows and the radio, etc., if they go deep in the Frozen Four, he's only gonna have like 
there's an, a possibility that he, he he's done. They have four games left. He f- gives them a look, and they decide after those four games, he, he's too young, he doesn't have the experience, and this whole thing is a moot point. There's also crazier things have happened where you've thrown a rookie in uh, this late in the season, and like I've been saying, just put the kid in a situation to succeed and play to his strengths, and I think he can hang. So there's we're going to have to wait and see how that goes. But right now in my mind, when I look at the forwards, it's there's the Nyes lineup, and then there's the non-Nyes lineup. So I would go first line. I would go Matthews, Marner, Yarncrock. I would go Tavares, Bunting, Nylander. And I would do exactly what I just said I think Sheldon is going to do, where I would sit those six guys down and say, hey, I'm going to draw this out on the whiteboard, but when the game starts, you're all six of you are going to get blended and thrown out there like all game long. So get used to that. Then I would go O'Reilly, Kerfoot, Lafferty. I would go Kampf, Achari, Aston Reese. If Matthew Nyes can hang and is available, then you potentially look at taking out Zach Aston Reese and putting Matthew Nyes in the fourth line winger position. And maybe you can look at rotating him and Lafferty up and down, depending on the scenario. Here's what here here's here's what I will say in the Nyes lineup. If if your third line is dedicated to checking a top line, I don't want him anywhere near that line. I think he's better off playing with Matthews. So okay, so then maybe you look like, at it and say, okay, so f- I, I would not put a rookie on a checking line. Okay, so no. Okay, so then maybe you look at it and say, all right, he's we're taking Aston Reese out, we're putting Nyes in, and maybe we'll sneak Nyes up into the top six here and there as a scenario, and we can move Bunting or Yarncroc down depending on the scenario, because that's what Sheldon Keefe does. Like he, what what you see, all the guys who cover the team, the beat guys tweeting out the line combinations. It's like, yeah, cool, that's what's going on the game sheet, that's what's up on the whiteboard in the room. But the second something go- happens in the game or something goes wrong or something goes right, he's pulling the blender out and making changes. Yeah, like, this, it's it's like uh, there's a different line on the ice every time I, I every time I look. And, like, they're also, like, what, like, conversation's all well and good, but they go out in game one, they get slapped, and then you got to change the lineup again. Exactly. Like, it's just, like... It's, so it's, flu- it's fluid. Yeah. It's always, like, and it always has been fluid. Sometimes you put your top line against the other team's top line, and you see what happens, and then it's up to your depth to, to chip in and... Score some goals, or your top line needs to be better than their top line. Like, I, it's it's really hard to find a line that's just dedicated to checking. Like, like but you that's know, right. Like, they deployed. If you look at last year, they deployed Camp Engvall and Mikheyev in that role. It as didn't mu- work. It, it didn't work. They did a good job. As much as as much as Keith could get that third line out against. I don't want David Camp anywhere near a top player. I don't. No. I want Ryan, like well, Ryan O'Reilly has the pedigree, even though he's injured right now and he might come back. He not, well, and, yeah. you know, he might not be himself. Well, fair. He might not be good enough. But. Fair, but they didn't have O'Reilly last year. I know. So, so the, th- the reason why you bring him in is it slots everyone down in the in the depth chart. Yeah. I, I just, so you move Camp to the fourth line and he's centering Achari and Aston Reese. Yeah. And that's, that's just it. You just need guys who are, I don't know. 
it's this conversation. It's just going to go out the window after game, like game one happens. And then like, it's just going to change. I can't, I can't put a prediction on something that like Sheldon keep changes the lineup every, every game. Like it's like, I, it's a fun conversation to have, but it's just going to, it's just going to change. And, and as far as Matthew Nyes is concerned, I, I, as we keep talking about it, I think the easiest place to put a guy like that is with a top player. So that way he, all he can do, all he has to do is get in the right position to, to score a goal like i don't want that guy checking anybody like yeah i think i think i put him in a fourth line like i think i put him in a fourth line situation because you want to manage his minutes i guess but again but he could go out there and play and he could be really good and then keith gives him more ice time or like i said he gets in for two or three games before the season wraps up and they just say you know what he's not ready yet and then this whole conversation is a moot point and us and the rest of the fan base who have spent the last two months Going Matthew Nyes, Matthew Nyes, Matthew Nyes. It's all for nothing. See you next year. Like it, that's that is entirely possible. And at the end of the day, it is nice to have the thought of having line matching. But at, if you really look at their their history, they've never really had a problem with like line matching. It's just their top players don't come in the clutch when it matters. Like that, it has nothing to do with how the lineups deployed. It's about can your top players come through in the clutch? Yeah, they, they they've never done it before. Well, and they need they need a big goal too from somebody who, yeah. in the bottom six, which is what like us and everyone else who talks about this team has said forever. It's like they need some more scoring from the bottom six when it counts. They need a Nick Paula moment when it really counts. Last thing I want to hit on before we get out of here, we talked about John Tavares last episode, and we just basically. We talk about how he's a conundrum because you watch him out there sometimes and he does look really behind the play, but then you look at his numbers and his numbers are there and he's still a point, like a high end point producing centerman gets three points in Florida. And it's, it's really interesting to watch him. It's really, really interesting. I, he was a topic of discussion. I saw online a lot this week and, and the main knock on Tavares and we've said it in the past before is, you know, I don't think he's an $11 million hockey player. But at this point in time, to me, that's spilt milk. Like, just saying that, like, I don't want to talk about that anymore because it is what it is. Complaining about his contract is 2020 hindsight. No one who's complaining about his contract right now was complaining about it when he signed it. He's still, like, in reality, should he have an $11 million price tag? Probably not. However, he's still an elite second-line centerman in this league, and yes, he does look a little slow sometimes, but if he can be put out there in situations that benefit him, which is like predominantly in the offensive zone below the hash marks, he's still elite. They need Ryan O'Reilly to come back and be good. That's what this team needs. And I'm I'm just looking at the stats right now, too, and, and, and all year we've been talking about how Austin Matthews is just not having his best year, but he's he's going to pass Nylander and lead the team in goals by the end of the season. Well, so he, in the last, like, two weeks, so it came out in that piece with Jonas Siegel that he was dealing with a hand injury. In the last two weeks, he has really, really, really turned the Jets. I thought he was. We talked last week about how good he looked when the Oilers were here. I thought he was a horse. Against the Florida Panthers. Austin Matthews. That second goal that he scored where he came around the net and just turned and absolutely wired it. It's like that is the Austin Matthews that we all know and love. Austin Matthews, uh, uh, as even though he's not scoring at the clip he's scoring, when Austin Matthews playing at his best, 
He, I think he's actually one of the best four checkers in the NHL. Like he is an unbelievable four checker because he's big, so he can get physical. Not like he's not gonna nail someone, but he can angle someone off. And his stick lifting is is stuff of legend. So to me, like when Austin Matthews sucks, he's skating around the perimeter of the ozone, back passing through the legs, spinning around trying to find Marner somewhere. Yep. And when he's at his best, he's actually four checking and stealing pucks and getting to the front of the net. That's what I want to see. Um, quickly, Keith kind of called out Nylander this week. That was bullshit. About getting his getting his feet moving. Here's what I'll say. I agree. I do think he picks on Nylander a lot, and you and I have talked uh, a lot about his reluctance to say anything about 34 and 16 publicly, but he'll do it to 88, no problem. However, however, William Nylander has been vocal and has said he responds to that. He 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 likes it. He feels as though he needs that mo- motivation of the coach coming out and saying, "Get your shit together." Basically, yeah. I just thought it was a little unwarranted. I, I I didn't see it. Yeah, he's he went pointless for a couple of games in a row, and he hasn't done that all year for half the season. For the first half of the season, he was the best player this team had, and now Marner's kind of taken over that role. But it's, <clears throat> I, I thought that was kind of horseshit, to be honest with you. Yeah. All right. Going to get out of here. Two games this weekend, back-to-back. Two weekends in a row where they've got a Saturday-Sunday. Uh, this is... This, I just want this to be over. Yeah, same. Over this. Same, same. I'm, I'm ready. Because I'm ready the, the more one. regular season games they have, the more we have to come on here and sound like idiots coming up with takes that really don't matter. Yes. The only thing that matters is when that puck drops. On game one. And all everything we've been saying, all these lineup talk that we Doesn't are matter. just gonna Matthew Nyes mull yeah. over for the next who the starting two weeks. goalie is. It's just who's once, your defense pair. Once that happens, that all this conversation it means absolutely dick. We are still gonna have that who's your starting six defenseman for game one. We've had it a couple times already, but we're gonna have it again next episode. We're we're gonna name them. You're gonna you're gonna be happy and excited. About I just it. don't even know. Yeah. I just don't even know who to like. I don't know who plays the best together. Like I know I'm supposed to know because I'm supposed to do a podcast about this team. I watch every game, but like it's so like it just changes every game. It seems like. So well, I, here, I don't know. I don't know who's got a good feel for here's each other. Here's a little. Well, here's a little tease into that discussion. I've already been thinking about this, and where I keep getting stuck is who who gets the safety blanket? Brody. Brody is the safety blanket. Yeah. So who gets the safety blanket? McCabe or Riley? I, I don't know. Because I love the idea of TJ Brody and Jake McCabe being your top two shutdown pair and letting Morgan Riley wheel as like in, in, in as a second pair guy. But then I think Riley kind of needs that safety blanket because as I, I often refer to him as a riverboat gambler. So I'm kind of like, all right, let's yeah. let's just let's okay. park this let's conversation. Park this conversation, and we'll I'm sure we'll take we it got out. we got a, how many more games in between this and our next episode? Two. Probably two. Two. And our opinion, what we say now is yeah. we're just putting our foot in our mouths because once the next episode rolls around, we're just gonna have a different opinion, anyways. Well, so. if you would like to watch Ryan and I put our foot in our mouth once again, hit that like and subscribe button below. Spread the word. Tell your friends. We really appreciate it. If you're listening to the audio version.
Hi, I'm Joel McLeod, co-host of the 905er podcast. The 905 is one of the most diverse and densely populated regions of Canada. Four and a half million of us live, work, and play in the area surrounding Toronto. That's more people in the 905 than actually live in Toronto. Each election, the 905 decides who forms our government at both the provincial and federal levels. So why isn't more attention being focused on us here in the 905? We're looking to change that. My co-host, Roland Tanner, and I tell the stories that define what we are calling the most important region in Canada. Each week, we bring to your attention news, culture, and issues that make up what it means to be a 905er. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Or you can visit us at 905er.ca to subscribe. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. 